Welcome to E-Commerce Insights, trends, tips, and lessons learned, sponsored by Atmosol, a leading e-commerce technology company based in Chandler, Arizona, and Dallas, Texas. Each month, we talk to e-commerce entrepreneurs, vendors, and experts who share their expertise, experiences, and thoughts about navigating the ever-changing world of e-commerce. Ready to get started? So are we. Join host Ram Mohan and co-host Honey Olson with today's guests. Hi, welcome everybody. So today we have some guests that we're going to talk a little bit about So two important things in e-commerce. First will be UI, UX, and web design and development, and the ongoing and ever-popular headless commerce. So we're going to start today off by introducing our guest. So uh, Kevin, we'll start with you. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your company, and uh, we'll go from there. Yeah, sure. Thanks, honey. Uh, it's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me today. Uh, my name is Kevin O'Brien. I head up partnerships for a company called Shogun. And Shogun is a storefront company for e-commerce uh, merchants that want to be able to uh, develop world-class websites and grow their revenue. And we love to work with uh, our partners like Atmosol and others to create really excelling e-commerce experiences. So it's great to be here. Great. Jorge? Hi there. My name is Jorge Garcia. I'm a user experience and UI designer at Atmosol. And I have a passion for design. Uh, my experience is in uh, various facets of user interface across, you know, video games, uh, web apps, and e-commerce. And um, yeah, really, it's a real pleasure to be here today to share my passion about UX. All right, Ram? Hi, I'm Ram Mohan. I am uh, the CEO of Atmosol. Um, my experience is uh, primarily in technology across a variety of things. I've done e-commerce, I've done SaaS, I've done uh, web building in my previous life, I ended my technology career as a uh, enterprise architect. So variety of technology stuff. And now I manage uh, a lot of things at Atmosol. So different hats at different times. <laughs> okay. And uh, I'm your co-host, Honey Olison, also from Atmosol. I am the director of operations. I've been with the company for 12 years. Pretty much have lived and breathed e-commerce for the past 12 years. All right, so like I said, today we are going to talk about UI, UX, and web design and development and headless commerce. So with the ever-growing e-commerce world, there's different topics, but for today, let's focus in on those things. So Kevin, why don't you start us off by telling us a little bit about what is headless commerce? Because not everybody may know. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, I think in traditional merchant e-commerce experiences, the platforms are always providing sort of a storefront experience. And headless is when a merchant or an agency would want to make the decision that, you know what, I want to be able to have a lot more control over uh, the shopping experience of my website. I want to have more ability to do really engaging and immersive uh, experiences. Or it may just be, I want a real fast-loading website. And I want to be able to leverage technology to do that. And, and so the concept of taking uh, your e-commerce storefront off of a platform like a big commerce or Shopify and then running it on a different piece of technology is called headless. And it just works through uh, the SDK and API layers of the, uh, of the commerce backend. And so you do see a lot of merchants nowadays who are really trying to explore that area and really leverage that to be able to create uh, a lot more personalized and uh, customized shopping experiences for their website. So will it work on any platform? I mean, or is it all by itself? Well, when you create a headless storefront, you're basically communicating with uh, the different platforms through their APIs. So if the commerce backend that you're working with has APIs to be able to uh, talk to and get product data and you know, get inventory data and things like that, uh, then yeah, you could use a headless uh, approach for that type of solution. I think one of the, um, you know, in the past couple of years, there has been a lot of a lot of hype and a lot of buzz around headless. And then I think it also led to a lot of confusion around headless mm -hmm. when you start getting into headless, then you get into composable and then you get into microservices and the conversation gets pretty technical pretty quick. And so I think merchants are looking at really trying to rise above that and say, you know, what are the problems that I need to solve on my shopping experience? Which headless solution can help me to do that? And which approach can help me to do that? And a lot of times they might take that on themselves if they have a highly technical team or they might work with, you know, someone like yourselves at Atmosol to be able to answer those questions for them. 
Okay. Yeah, um, I, um, I mean, I can add a little bit to that. Yes, um, coming from a background of doing web development outside of e-commerce. So if you if you think of any other product that you that you use as a SaaS product, a lot of those was built by a front end and a back end, right? So you write a front end using any JavaScript kind of technologies and a back end using some other technology. The only, I guess, when when e-commerce was built in the early stages, uh, they were built as one single system. So a Magento or a you know a, a big commerce or a Shopify. They handle the front end of it, which is what you see, and the back end of it, which is where merchants go and enter their products, et cetera, which worked well for a while. And once people wanted started asking for much more immersive experiences, so to speak, like, you know, honey, we, you know, we've had a client who wanted to have a product configurator that automatically rotates. And right. as you add things, it shows that up. Things like that became harder to do on, you know, it's not something that's predefined in a in a system. So if you wanted to do things like that, then it becomes it's easier if you took a technology like React or, or or something else, and then you just build that yourself, use an API to plug back into the into the backend system, right? So then the backend system, the only it could be anything for the, to answer the question you have, right. except that it has to support APIs. And if if there is a system that doesn't, then obviously you can do a headless on that. So that's. That's kind of my my view from coming from. I, I I always say headless is new to e-commerce, but you know if you think of that as headless, I've always run headless in, 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 in all my life, and and now it's a new concept in e-commerce. So, so would you say then that um, when it comes to headless, it's it's a better experience for UI UX? I mean, um, I would I would suggest that that would be a much better experience. Uh, it does allow uh, user experience designers and designers to put together solutions for any inefficiencies that you might run across on the client side mm-hmm. um, and improved user flows, we can uh, you know, assist engineers in building components that are much more engaging, much more pleasurable, and that will ultimately improve conversion. It's a much more robust way f- to create solutions. And it, it kind of provides like an almost unlimited uh, canvas to, to create new uh, solutions for users. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 also you know if you, if you think of headless being more flexible, of course it's more flexible because right. you're not limited by any platform, right? You can build anything you can think of that the technology allows you to do. Like if you take a Magento, BigCommerce, all great platforms. I'm not you know against any of them, but there's only so much somebody can pre-build into a system and allow others to do configure it, right? That's there's only so much you can do. If you like I said, if you want the special configurator. No platform builder can think of that in advance. So you have to have something that you build on your own. And that's where Headless really comes becomes uh, valuable. And and of course, like Jorge said, it, it does allow you to uh, get rid of some of the... When you build a generic platform, you have to have you have to support everything, mm-hmm. which comes with a little bit of bloat, right? So you have to have all this JavaScript to support this and that, even though everybody's not using it, right? So Headless does get rid of that as well, where you can just use what you need and not use what you don't. Right. That's that's kind of my my thinking about two things about headless. Now there are downsides to it, which I guess we'll get into uh, soon. Um, but Kevin, I mean, wanted to add something to that. <laughs> oh yeah, I was just going to say when you think of the user experience, um, you know, now that merchants have been doing you know e-commerce and online commerce for so long, they're starting to think about and want to be able to do more uh, from a personalized shopping mm-hmm. nature, and that's something where React certainly makes it a lot easier to be able to do that, whether, you know, people can take, you know, take the quiz and then really present, you know, really rich imagery of, of which, you know, uh, makeup or, or uh, motion solution that they might want to have. I would say we had a, we had a client uh, who wanted to be able to do branded air tags, right? So they're in a very competitive business, right? They're in the, the uh, Apple accessory business and they wanted to be able to, you know, have a really cool looking branding element on their site when you're buying the air tag for your pet. Right. So that's something that, you know, harder to do in, in sort of some of the theme systems and easier to do with uh, with React. And that's so that, that's some of the UX stuff that I think really can come through with Headless. So for Shogun's Headless, Kevin, does it work with any platform? Good question. So right now, our, our, so our Headless platform is called Shogun Frontend. Um, and we actually took a, a little bit of a different approach than a lot of the other Headless solutions in the market where we... We developed it as a merchant-focused solution. So we thought about what are the problems that merchants are trying to solve from their website when they want to go headless. Things like 
the ability to easily publish new pages, the ability to lock down branding elements, but still have control over their over their pages, really sort of enabling the merchant to have a lot more control than some other some other uh, developer focused solutions can do. So we call it a unified platform. Um, it still produces uh, a lightning fast progressive web application. Uh, and right now it works on the Shopify, BigCommerce, and the Magento platforms. And we'll be looking to extend to, uh, to more platforms uh, in, the, in the coming year. Those ecosystems right now, uh, a lot of those merchants are starting to uh, explore headless solutions for their for their storefronts. And, and so we've, we've seen some great success there. I think which uh, leads us nicely into the downside, which right. Kevin brought up a little bit, right? Uh, about you know, if you are building a full headless, right? Uh, what are the downsides? One of them, obviously, is that, like you said, if you have your own team, you need uh, you need to make a change. You need to, uh, somebody who knows technology to make the change. You can't just go in and even edit content most of the time, right? So uh, I think that's something that you want. And if you want to elaborate on that a little bit more on on how Shogun solves the problem. Yeah, yeah, that's that's great. Actually, I actually look at it. Look at the merchants. I actually put them in three buckets because it's like there's merchants who are, let's say, 250 million and above in GMB. They have all the resources to be able to have their own in-house team, be able to really get selective on technology, and they kind of run it independently. And then there's sort of these, you know, 10, 10 to 250 million, where it's a mix of the merchant really has to decide. Can I staff and resource this team internally to be able to mm-hmm. uh, manage a headless implementation? Or I would work with a partner like or an agency like Atmosol to be able to build and maintain that solution for me. Uh, and then sort of the zero to 10 million, 10 million GMV, I would say those merchants really have to spend a lot of time thinking about is going headless going to be going to deliver me the benefits that I that I really need at this time in my business. You know, and that kind of leads to some of the some of the things that merchants need to think about when they're going headless, which is, you know, it's gonna it's gonna take a while to build the site. You're basically building a whole new uh, storefront from scratch, regardless of which platform you're using. And the Shogun front end air uh, solution, as as Ron was saying, when the store is actually built, it actually has a drag and drop user interface so that the merchant has control over the visual representation of the site going forward, which is unique, a little bit unique in the market. Most headless solutions don't provide that to the merchant. And we also make it so the merchant's only managing one piece of, of the technology stack versus having to manage, uh, you know, four, five, six, seven different pieces of, of the technology stack. And so that's why, that's why when we take a merchant-focused approach, it makes it, it, makes it quite Quite a, uh, a little bit easier for the for the merchant to to manage that going forward, but certainly there are you know there there are development costs whether it's internal or external. There's uh, timelines uh, to build the site, and then yeah, if the merchant I think and Rob you probably have some thoughts on this too. Revenue wise for the merchant, they really have to be if they are under ten million, they really have to think about you know do I want to put the resources here at this point in my business or do I want to um, want to live on the you know, the liquid or the stencil themes that I'm on now and, and maybe move to it later on as a business. If for a one to ten million merchant to go headless, I think they really have to have a unique product that only works yeah. with that experience. Right. I mean <laughs> if if I was building a I don't know something that's totally wizard based, the only way to get to the end as a wizard, then um, I have to do it. I mean there's no other go, right? And and so is certain products which are many companies selling only one or two products to get that website to be more more uh, immersive or interactive. Sometimes they, they want to do some things that are special so that you know, as you go to the website, it's not just like, here, buy two products, right? I mean, so, so that's, that, those are the kind of merchants I can think of going that way for, for uh, a smaller merchant. But yeah, as you get a little bigger, then definitely the market is demanding more immersive experiences. I mean, you know, right. it's, I, I don't know what, uh, what uh, Meta is doing, but nobody knows, but uh, <laughs> hopefully, but at least, they think something's going on in that in that immersiveness, right? So right. if it's not a VR, it's AR. Well, one of the two, something is going to, you know, just move the world's moving that way. So yeah. definitely headless is going to be more and more um, rather than less and less. But yeah, there are there yeah. is the disadvantage that you do need a tech team. You can't just set it up, right? Yeah. I mean, so. yeah, we haven't touched on the benefits of page load time. So certainly right. most headless solutions make your page load times a lot faster, like in the Shogun solution, you know, we we actually produce a bunch of flat HTML files, which are able to be quickly loaded and quickly, um, you know, quickly navigated through and so forth. So you get 
you know, really high uh, engagement uh, with the website because people aren't waiting for the for the pages to load. And there's other examples of that, but but I think one of the one of the cautions you gotta that we would make to merchants is like speed alone can't be the reason for you to go headless because it is a it is a, a, a going to require a lot of attention from you as a business to actually implement it, and so you really want to be doing it for the shopping experience and getting the benefits of speed um, that come with that as well. So is the ongoing maintenance of a, a system built on headless, is it better? I mean, once you get past the implementation or is it always going to be a high maintenance site? Well, in the Shogun world, it's not a high maintenance site because once the, once our, with front end, once the solution is built, uh, it actually comes out as a, uh, as a drag and drop visual experience manager for all the components, all the sections on the website. And so the merchant actually has a lot of flexibility and a lot of control over what, what they can do. There are other headless solutions where, yeah, you still do have to engage directly with your technology team to, you know, put a new banner up or put a new, put a new landing page up or things like that. So that's one of the questions is people are really, I guess, uh, you know, trying to determine which headless implementation they want to go to. You know, you really have to look at what are the what are the workflows that you as a merchant want to be able to have or uh, once this site is launched and and make sure that the technology you're going to be implementing can support those workflows so that you don't necessarily have to um, be waiting on developer timeframes to do changes to your website. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's kind of the midway, I think. And 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 uh, Kevin, I'm going to jump a little bit into Shogun. If I'm talking some nonsense, you know, please do stop me. But, <laughs> but from from my experience on on Shogun and what I've seen, it allows the team as you develop it to say, okay, certain portions the business should be able to manage, right? So you allow them to edit or change that. Certain other things, yes, it needs to the developer if you yeah. want to change that. Right? So, and that's that's an that's a decision upfront, and that's great because then you're both working together to decide. Okay, what are the things you'd want to change in future? What are the things that are not changed so often, so that's okay to have a developer do that? Right? Yeah. That's 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 I think a very good in between where you're not you're not building, you know, the the entire whole shebang just to uh, um, have one thing, right? So like I said, the platforms have to build support every scenario they can think of, making it very a little bit more bloated right. versus you know some something that's only my stuff that I can build at every time you need a developer. I think it's a good mid-path, you know? Yeah. You're going to be able to change these things, these things, you know, go to a dev and, and, and have them change it. I mean, it's, my opinion is it's valuable to everybody, but yes, there is a cost to it. Right? Yeah. Yeah, and again, it all starts with the workflow, right? Like, right. what's the what's the expected workflow that a merchant wants to have once they're once they're managing their website, and then yeah, and uh, the site gets built towards that towards that workflow, and and they're off and running. So, is, when you're, t- um, you're talking about workflows, I mean, or, hey, how would UI UX fall into you know working something like that? In, I mean, I know there's workflows when you know you're putting together your wireframes and pro and prototypes and talking. You know, how does the client want this down the line? And and you right. were talking, you know, Ram about you know the need for a developer versus you know letting the merchant be able to do it itself. I mean, I'm sure all UI UX falls deep into all of that as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the major uh, costs that or things that you want to pay attention to when going into a headless build is that a vast majority of the user flows and interactions that were built on the front end initially may need to be revisited and they may be customized uh, for a new uh, a new f- uh, set of user flows. Gotcha. Um, because platforms tend to handle a lot of that, a lot of that will need to get revisited. Creating new uh, wireframes, creating new user flows, maybe conducting interviews, talking to uh, clients and, uh, and admin users to find out what kind of new functionality, what kind of new custom uh, components you might need to build. That's generally the time you're going to do it. And that would be the best time to start incorporating more user experience design, uh, focusing on your user uh, interactions. And then, of course, starting to build some of those prototypes and, and sharing those with the team. So there is some, some UX development time that's put up front uh, when you're moving into a headless solution. Um, so there's quite a bit of, of, uh, of work there to, to help create some uh, pleasurable experiences for users. Okay, so whether it's headless or not, what, what would be the most important factor that someone needs to look at when they're, they're looking at the UI UX side of doing their sites? In the context of e- uh, e-commerce solutions, I think that, I mean, in, in our experience, especially at Atmosol, and across a lot of e-commerce, you see that 
uh, a vast majority of time generally wants to be placed in the core uh, user flows that you're going to be experiencing in a store. Mm -hmm. So, you know, client might have expectations about what a uh, visit to an online store will uh, entail, Mm -hmm. uh, what kind of things they should have access to. And of course, you know, what prior experiences in other stores may have established for them uh, to be acceptable user flows. Uh, you want to make sure that those are included, that they're not deviating too much from what's expected from users, but it's also a customized experience that makes a user want to engage with the store and promote conversion. So Kevin, with the drag and drop interface, does that make it easier when you're starting to think about you know, the UI, UX, and the design and the workflows? Yeah, I mean, the, the, so the UI, UX really uh, is, is all part of that process when the page is getting built. Um, and it's Drag and drop gives them the ability to, you know, maybe move holiday messaging in between two banners or move the carousel up or down or special delivery messaging, um, you know, for Black Friday, Cyber Monday, right? So so the users can drag those around and then they can also just upload messages, uh, uh, sorry, upload their images directly uh, into the interface. So the interface would be built to support certain uh, types of rich media. They can just upload them directly onto our platform, and then we optimize those, and, and they get hosted along with the uh, along with the website. So once the UX uh, has been determined for that website, then all of a sudden, you know, changing out images and, and, and adding new sections to it becomes a lot simpler than. Um, than it might be in, in other in other ways. And people that are on, you know, drag and drop is not a new a new concept, right? right? It's been around 20 years. It's just making that merchant accessible in a headless environment is something that is still sort of, you know, uh, the, the the tip of the spear, so to speak, versus uh, other other solutions that are out there. So that's why it's it's really important. We have another we have another non headless product that's done drag and drop for for eight years mm-hmm. uh, in a different in a different uh, a different approach and merchants really want to have that control i think at the end of the day to be able to um, quickly make changes to their website um, so they can uh, run efficiently and and uh, and effectively for for their seasons so when you're thinking about your user interaction and experience is it a one and done you put up your designs you develop the site and it's over right um, no, not necessarily. I think, uh, I think, and this is something that I've always really appreciated about Shogun, is that it does incorporate a lot of user re- uh, user experience research techniques. Uh, you know, you, they do have A/B testing, and I think that that's something that expands into a lot of really helpful data that you can use to uh, design and uh, and brainstorm new solutions for users. Generally speaking, a lot of the data that you're gathering uh, and a lot of the research that you're doing can be used to uh, incrementally improve experiences for users. So it should. Uh, be approached as an ongoing project and and an ongoing task. Identifying inefficiencies or identifying uh, any facet of a user flow and finding new ways to make them more efficient and to promote, uh, you know, higher quality conversions and and more conversion. Nobody should just jump on trends then? I I think it depends on on what that's (laughs) that's going to be. If it's a, you know, user design trend, sometimes based on your, on your, uh, on the field that you're working with, um, you know, it might be important to, to maintain a look or an aesthetic that is, is very uh, current. But generally speaking, especially for a larger installation, a larger store, uh, approaching some different changes like that might, you know, might require a little bit of research mm-hmm. and making sure that the, uh, the, the costs and benefits are going to, to balance out. Yeah, I mean, if you talk about trends, right? Yeah, so Think of, and I, I've, I've always thought about this a little bit because if you think about the current modern websites, right? Forget about e-commerce for a second. Everything's big, right? You, you, there was a time when there was an entire, entire uh, discourse about saving real estate, right? Let's we we need all this real estate. When we came from the desktop world, we need all this real estate. We can't make things big. Let's keep them small. From there, now we've gone to. If you look at most website web pages now, there many times even you know obnoxiously big, right? I mean, it's like humongous buttons, like, you know, I mean, I, I, I get it. It's easier. But but I'm just saying that trends might take a little time to bake in, but once it's baked in, users expect that. I mean, it's so, I mean, I guess my bottom line is as designers or as, as builders, I don't think we decide what is right and what is wrong. Once the user likes something and he thinks that's the new thing, that's the trend, then sometimes you have to go with it or you look like uh, that guy probably built it in 1990. So I'm not going to go with that guy. (laughs) 
We, we, no one wants a push the cart button versus an add the cart button. <laughs> exactly. At the time, it was, you know, it was good and it worked. Right. I mean, there's no reason that it didn't work. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, um, as things become more progressive and especially as we turn more to mobile, you know, how is, is headless and UI UX and all that going to play into that? Yeah, I mean that's that's I think the the nice part about headless is that you know when you there are certain implementations of it again like the Shogun front end which produces the progressive web application mm-hmm. uh, which really provides uh, a really like you get like a mobile app experience in the mobile browser without having the mobile app right mm-hmm. so you're able to really develop a, a really functional uh, shopping experience on mobile and again it runs super fast. Uh, due to the way that the site is built. And so that is, I think, one of the pushes, again, for a lot of companies that want to go, that are going headless, is Mm -hmm. because they do have a high number of mobile shopping that's going on on their website. And certainly, headless gives them a much much more straightforward approach to solving that than some of the the theme-based solutions that are out there. Um, Ram, I don't know, you you probably have, have... have seen this as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely. I mean, you can. So with 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 React and and uh, with you know Shogun Frontend, you can. So essentially, it is responsive, right? That's the term that we use. Responsive basically means viewed in different devices. It changes yeah. its view automatically. You don't have to build. I mean, to give it some history, in early days, if you think if you remember, most websites would have a mobile.abc.com and an abc.com. They yeah. built them separately, right? Yeah. And then came responsive with, I think, Twitter started it, or, or one of the larger companies gave us Bootstrap, and, and then it came up with that. But also, to add to that, it's not just about responsive website. If you're doing React, in fact, there is actually something called React Native. So what React Native does is it allows you to build an app, not just a responsive website where you can view it on a website on the mobile, but a real app on, our, on your mobile yeah. using the same technology. Now, granted, you can't just take the web code and put it there, <laughs> but there is a lot of commonality. And, and, you know, number one, you can reuse a bunch of it. And number two, you have now people who are working on the site, they can do the same things. Every, you know, a, a single technology across multiple devices in multiple forms, that's one of the powers of, of, of React. Now, even if you go Angular, there are others that do that. But that's what modern technology is going towards, where headless will win is, is that, you know, you can take the same thing. I can see it on my computer. I can see it in a smaller form on the website on my mobile. I can even make an app with and reuse a lot of the code and have the same developer or, or development company do that stuff. Right? That's 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 really powerful and make it fast. Right? Right. I, I'm not. I don't have the debt of having a, a, a you know a bloat of JavaScript, which is which is why Atlas is going yeah. to be there. But now, I mean, like like Kevin was saying, and Shogun was trying to solve some of the problems of eventually. I think it will get solved. That. That the best of both worlds. You have right. the speed. You have the uh, you know the technology as well as the ability to change the things that business wants to change. Right? I mean, not everything is business change, so uh, it's going there. I think so, it will get there. And for the mobile view, like I need to answer your question. It's a good thing that that it's it's going to get better and better as as we right. go along for that mobile. So, are there certain industries or uh, verticals that work better in? Using headless, or is it just pretty much anybody? That, that's a that's an interesting question. There are certain certainly some industries where that are taking more advantage of, mm-hmm. of uh, headless from uh, from what I've seen. Things like health and beauty, high fashion, uh, you know, jewelry, accessories, things like that, where you know, really trying, like you guys have mentioned, really trying to provide the three hundred sixty degree view of a product, which care about if you're buying a high-end watch, but right. you may not care about it if you're, if you're not buying a box of food or something. Right. So there are definitely certain industries that we've seen that are taking advantage of headless uh, ahead, of, ahead of others. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, it, you know, it typically comes around creating that unique immersive experience, almost like you can feel the product coming through the, coming through the website uh, so that they can really kind of get an attachment to it. And okay. so, yeah, that's what we've seen. Now we have seen, we've got plenty of, Customers that are in, you know, B two B, you know, B two B sales or or electronics or other things that are that are finding great benefits from headless. But I think the early the early adopters have definitely been the, um, those uh, really kind of immersive kind of uh, you know fashion jewelry um, 
you know, wellness sites. Yeah, and I think even the the cost matters, right? If right. it's a, a higher priced item, I want to see more, no more before I buy online. Yeah. You know, if, you know, in a store, I can go look at the watch upside down, but here, if I just show you something I'm not convinced of, I'm spending five thousand dollars. You know, I better be able to see it properly. So that's that's definitely there. Um, if Honey, I may, uh, you know, just just uh, want to just talk a little bit about, you know, Jorge mentioned briefly, but want to talk a little bit about conversion as well, right? right? So it's kind of like the holy grail of commerce. You know, you can do all the stuff, but if you're not converting, you know, you're not right. doing anything, right? <laughs> so well, something I think that's uh, that's helpful to touch on is the fr- the freedom that you get from decoupling your front end from your back end allows you to start using different libraries, different uh, architecture builds. And of course, with the, uh, the research and the UX that, that you'll perform when you're going with the headless build, you're able to build customized solutions for specific user types. And this is great for e-commerce because any successful e-commerce uh, implementation generally thrives best when the, the store can fulfill the expectations of a user. Mm-hmm. And... When it comes to stuff like Kevin mentioned, uh, jewelry, uh, electronics, anything that's highly customizable, this is a great, a great time to to implement something like a headless solution because now you have potentially a limitless uh, options for how to uh, approach solutions, how to approach inefficiencies, and how to you know create solutions for them that start with a user centered design mentality. What that'll do is both will help with conversion promotes engagement. And it's a positive form of engagement that makes people want to keep coming back. Um, and, and ultimately, it provides both you know, great user experiences, conversion, and then the data that you need to keep on delivering those types of, uh, those types of solutions. As you see new models appear, uh, it just gives you the freedom for a lot of that, which is you know, it's, it's really great for, for UX people, for designers, and for developers as a whole. What if... You're in the GMV that you're talking about that, you know, headless is just not going to make it for you. Do you, do we still have these possibilities of, of building, you know, UI, UX and personalization for good conversions? Um, I believe a lot of that's dependent on the platform. Certainly when you have a, a headless implementation, you're going to have more freedom as a result of the decoupling of those two elements. But every platform will have its own uh, unique set of options that you can that you can utilize to you know you can still design solutions you can still design user flows, but they will be sort of housed within the functionality the framework that's provided by the platform and that's mm-hmm. why this sort of headless solution is so exciting. Although we have been initially or for the longest time working within these parameters you know within uh, parameters of any specific e-commerce solution. Now we can use those backends and then provide new solutions and then tie, the, tie back into the backend through the use of APIs. Mm-hmm. Um, ultimately, yeah, you still have a range of freedom within all these platforms, but based on the type of industry you're in, you may want to provide more. And as you start gathering that data, you start gathering those user stories, you'll, you'll see that many uh, merchants start finding new avenues for generating uh, conversion through customized uh, interfaces and customized components that target the needs of their users. Yeah, I mean, you know, case in point, you know, you can, so if I take personalization, it's, mm-hmm. it's a big thing today in the market mm-hmm. is to be able to personalize to each customer segment. If, if, if they could, they would customize to each customer. Right. But, you know, <laughs> at least the segment, if you think about a platform, right, many platforms in the back end do provide customer segmentation and, and things like that. But how many of the themes are actually using that, right? If you take a theme and say, okay, no, this is a backend, they don't actually use that very well. Now, you could go and customize that and do something, right. but then you're limited by that, the platforms, you know, whoever built the original front end of the platform, how much had they thought about? Like I was saying earlier, nobody can think of everything on a on a platform that's supposed to be used by everybody, right? right? So right. That's, that's where uh, what he's saying is also is that you can definitely do many things on the platform. I mean, you know, people have been doing CRO for ages on, on all of these platforms. But there, the, now your, your, your avenues and your horizons are much more broad because you're not limited by anything. You know, you, you think that Honey is a great customer. I want a personalized experience just for Honey. Go for it. Go and build it. Right? And, and that's, that's where that, that headless gives you that. And to just add to that from my technology background, the other thing that's really 
nobody touched upon really was that now your releases become separate too. Right? Right. You no longer have to release the back end in order to release the front end. Oh, so sweet. because when you were releasing monolith software, you would have to release everything every time, which is right. more risky. You know, you could break something on the back end where all you did was change the color of a button and now suddenly <laughs> nothing works. And you know, that's that's a problem. It's a real problem. I mean, we, we laugh at it, but it is. I have been a developer in my life before and I've done uh, stuff like that. So <laughs> it's it's it is sometimes it happens sometimes. So and that, that's a big advantage that now you 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 know you can you can separate your release paths. You could even have things like say the, your backend is only going to be released every three months or whatever, depending on your organization. But your front end, hey, feel free to play with it, iterate it, and find the right UI so that is converting the best. Right. So that is also another great advantage I think of of, of going headless. Uh, something we experience as well uh, once as we're building solutions mm-hmm. is that a vast majority of the options you have or what you can do is going to be dictated by the technologies used by any platform. So you may have a team that's engaged in building solutions for uh, for a store, but maybe the best solution would be a different library or different architecture. And when you have a headless solution, you have the op- the ability to, to build it in, in languages that your team is, is, is proficient in with architecture and models and UX models and flows that a, a team is customizing for that user base. Um, I think it opens up quite a bit of avenues for both designers, developers, engineers, solutions experts. Everyone has a little bit more leeway now because once you've separated all of those those facets, you're able to uh, to use your best team members to to utilize the languages that are best going to solve the problem. Um, I think this is a, a really interesting facet of, of headless that uh, that opens up a lot of opportunity. Yeah, and in some ways, it may make it makes it easier to take. You know some components that you built for this customer and transfer them over to another customer. Absolutely, especially if you know if, if you have experience building, you know, one component for for say Big Commerce versus Magento two. They're very very different. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing if you're doing something for Shopify. You know the the languages they're using on the front end, the way their stack works, the type of data you're going to have access to, and how you can display it. It's very different across the board. Uh, when you have something like Headless, your solutions are going to be following much more well established design patterns and architecture patterns uh it's, it's quite a bit more simple to to understand and simple to uh to implement across uh different stores and different clients yeah i mean it's just to add a, a little view to that like if you think about extensions on on a magento or, or a big commerce or any of the platforms right, right. so <clears throat> it's it's a little bit of a inversion of of what an extension is right so for example an extension usually solves a functional problem Right. So you might have an extension for, um, I don't know, loyalty or for for any of the things that you functionally want in a website, right? Mm-hmm. Now that's again that's following the same principles of you'll have a backend, you'll have a frontend that's built by them. You, you know, you do that. Right? It's not just the platform, but even the extensions. Now, if you take a React, right? React has its own uh, its own libraries, right? People have built libraries. You could equate them to an extension and say, oh, you know, if you wanted to do a tree, right? And, and there's a there's a there's NPM, which is the which is kind of the marketplace for that. And you can go there and get a tree for uh, React. Now the, the differentiation though is that in React, what you've done is you've you've modeled the user experiences and the user controls and things like that to be able to use that in any way you want. Versus an extension that is, again, following the same monolith principle and saying, okay, I'm going to build both of these and solve a function, right? So that's, you know, that's, that's kind of where, where using that modern technology, uh, it still helps you use open source and free code when you, when you need to. You don't want to build everything from scratch. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, not have that, that dependency of both being built by them and not being flexible, right? So that's, it's, it's you know, I've always looked at those two things and said, you know, this really even right react has and then what the reason i brought this up is react really has a lot of components that are written by people and is available for you to use right and yep. you build out of those and use something like shogun <laughs> you can create a component that you can then reuse if you wanted to i mean depending on yep. whether you're building for your customer that you cannot reuse or not yep. right i mean that, that's a licensing thing as well but and, you know, it's a real interesting point that you brought up about plugins because the vast majority of the time, you know, for any established uh, e-commerce platform, a lot of the plugins and applications that you're utilizing, you're generally utilizing for a specific subset of their uh, of their feature set, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
there's many, many times that, or almost all the time, each one of those plugins and apps are using APIs to communicate to the backend in a very similar fashion. And you're only utilizing them for that one thing. When you have a headless implementation, you can build around your needs based on data that you've gotten from user research and kind of circumvent a lot of that and then target the exact same APIs that'll back, that will interact with that backend in the exact same way. Then you kind of remove some of the overhead of utilizing those plugins, the cost that might be associated to them, and you might be able to use those solutions in different places. Whereas if you were using that plugin for that specific solution or for that specific store, that same solution can't just be used piecemeal in other places. You'd still need to pay another licensing fee. You'd still have to rebuild and make sure that that solution is going to work for that client. I mean, you have quite a bit more freedom in regards to building uh, reusable solutions across the board. Yeah. It's more, it's, yeah, when you start to look at it, right, it's more robust, more functionality, less overhead, you know, uh, faster, faster pages, yeah. um, unique customer experience. And so, yeah, I think as, as merchants are going into 2023, once they get through the holiday season, you know, you know, if they're in that sort of 10 million up range, it's probably a good time for them to, to really evaluate um, if they're ready to take that next step to, to headless for their, for their website. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and, and I think, you know, sorry, Tiny, but uh, one one thing that I think Shogun solved some of that to the PWA, that that's one of the advantages of, of having that. And I can talk more about PWA, but I don't have, we have the time. So maybe another topic for another, another thing. But to, to uh, Jorge's point, there's caching, right? So you could cache, you know, like he was saying, five extensions all calling customer data. You don't need all of them to do that. You could, you could cache it. You know, granted, some of the Frameworks. Some of the um, some of your platforms might cache it on the server, but you literally can't cache on the front end. I mean, especially if you're using React and there's technologies like Redux and all that. So, it's it it really does help in that as well. That you can you have more flexibility to say you know to to literally model your flow of data too. Yeah. Right. And, and that's that's a big big advantage as well. And 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 ideally, you can also start building your new, your components utilizing some of the maybe the ideas from a plugin or from some app. You can build a lot of your components using some of those user flows, but they'll already have, you know, the structure of your existing components, the the user flows, and some of the the ideas as to in regards to how we're uh, using uh, the user's data, how we're uh, displaying information to them. Ultimately, you get so much more control. And and what ends up happening is that you'll find later you're reusing styles, you're reusing uh, framework, you're reusing your scaffolding. All that stuff starts saving time, which ultimately saves a lot of uh, a lot of developer time. It starts saving on design and UX time, and it saves on implementation as well. In, in, so, in, in, bottom line, it's saving the merchant money. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Right. <laughs> well, it's debatable. <laughs> I mean, uh, it, it will, so, so if you take the long run, right? Yeah. Uh, what we're saying, I, I, I get it that there's there is a, a, a an amount of saving to be made by you know using, reusing certain things, but you also have to think about the upfront investment. So it's like saying, you know, let me forget about e-commerce and talk about something all of us know. I, I'm sure each of us have got a call asking us to put solar on our roof, right? <laughs> so is it worthwhile for you? It depends on your situation, right? So right. Yeah. so I did some calculation. These guys, you know, they come and they do a calculation that's so something's wrong, right? You, I look at it and say, no, 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 there's something wrong with that. And so I went and did a calculation on an Excel and I said, okay, It'll take me about 20 years to get that, or 15 years at least, to get that money back from savings on electric, right? Now, what should I do it? Well, depends. Uh, am I an, am I an environmentally uh, aware person and want to make sure that I'm not, you know, using I'm using as much solar as I want? Then that 15 years doesn't matter, right? And similarly, I mean, it's brand too, right? Is it right. your brand? Do you is your goal right now in in the journey of e-commerce, right? Right now is your goal to say, okay, let me, you know, stand up first, right? Before I start, right? So, so at that point, they might say, no, that's not the right place. I, I agree there's there is savings to be made five years down the line, but am I going to be there in five years, right? right. So, so that's the question that you're asking. And then if you, are, if you know you're at a certain stage, like Kevin's point, 10 million and above, maybe, you know, you might say it's a random number, but somewhere in that, in that higher number, then you know, okay, I have to make investments for my future. And then you say, okay, that makes sense for me to make that investment today to make savings two or three years down the line because it's not 
it's not that saving that Jorge is talking about. It's not going to be you know instantaneous or one year or something like that. Right. It, it takes over a period of time. You will save money probably, right? But again, depends how much of it you reuse, etc. So, so I mean, I think it, it's a balanced view. I know that a lot of agencies, a lot of people who uh, put out content, say that you know you got to go headless, and 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 that's the thing to be. And <laughs> I, I've always said it's 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 you know it's up to you. You know the, the, if if it is definitely is the future. At some point, mm-hmm. you'll have to do faster sides, and as things get faster and faster, you're going to be left behind, right? But do you have to do it today? I think it is it is a case to case basis. And then I'd actually recommend it to a client. You don't even have to go full headless. Yeah, you, you want an experience of a certain product on one page. Just use that as headless. It's not necessary. The whole thing has to be headless to have one in the space. So, yeah, and we've we've definitely had customers under ten million that have gone headless, and they've done it because they knew they, that's where they wanted to be, right? They wanted that control and that experience, and 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 they said eventually we're going to have to do it, so we're going to make the investment now. But the reality is, most people are making the investment to improve conversions, right? Because yep. of the customer experience, the loading time, right? So it's all about to your point, Ram. Like we've got to improve the conversion of the website. Headless is going to give us the best opportunity to be able to do that in terms of shopping experience, personalization. I think a lot of it generally takes some some research into how much it's going to cost to to build within that structure or to build within those parameters of any established platform. And of course, the scalability that you're expecting for a store. If if your goal is to uh, improve conversion by creating new user experiences and taking the data that you're getting from those uh, those research from the research that you're getting and then trying to build experiences that will promote engagement, I think it's a good investment, but it, it does require that you have a plan for it, that you have data and research that's pointing towards the need for that, or you know, or that those kinds of solutions will improve your conversion. Uh, I, I do believe that in the future, you're going to see quite a bit more of it, especially in the right. e-commerce area, just because so many stores want to, uh, to engage their, their customers that way. And it's kind of expected. Well, yeah. and much like you know, Ron, we were talking about earlier, you know, people, what, 10 years ago, if they had a mobile experience, it was M dot, <laughs> you know, so who's to say that 10 years from now, everything's not headless. I used to, I used to turn off my images when I wasn't on a yeah. live. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't you remember those days. Uh, yeah, I was actually thinking when Jorge was talking about, you know, think about it when you're building it, right? How much are you going to save from, how much are you going to spend for this and that? If you're building from scratch, maybe headless is a good way, right? Because, right. you know, you're already going to make an investment on on building it in the platform. So why not increase that a little bit? I mean, it's a totally different conversation if you already have a site and you want to migrate, that's yeah. full new expense versus, okay, this is the expense for this versus that. That's it. That's a little more manageable, a little more you know digestible if you're if you're going to do that. And you know, so it also goes to the experiences we've had as an agency. Many times, people come to us and say, "Oh, I want it on the big commerce or Magento. I just want a theme. I don't need anything custom." As you get into it, well, can you change that and change that and change that? And then you're like, you know, you might have been better off just doing a custom. Yeah. <laughs> but but by that time, you're so far down the road and, it, you know, you're just, yeah. okay, I'm just going to... Exactly. I've already spent so much money. Now I can't go custom, right? right. But that might go into headless as well. That if, as, you, as you go into platform deeper and deeper, you're investing that money. At some point, you know, you maybe should think about it. Should I invest all these things into the platform that is eventually not the future or should I just cut off and go, you know, right. yes, it's more money, a little bit more right now, but not, I mean, you know, and when you say more, I, I want to be careful in saying that too. It's not ridiculously more or, or, you know, something only a big enterprise can afford. It's not that much more. So it's yeah, not a million it's, dollar it's, site. It's, <laughs> well, it's not. Right? It's not. Yeah. Yeah. A, a good way to look at it also is if you're building a custom solution, does it, or, and Ron, maybe you have good insight into this. It might just be easier to find a developer that can build a React app that handles e-commerce on the front end than it would to be to find a specific platform's certified developers that know exactly how to build that solution you want that happens to maybe not fit within that those parameters, but they can make it fit. But you know, how much time is it going to be to do it within those parameters? That's a good parameters? point. I mean, yeah. as we go along, you know, the, one of the things that you need to think about is also who are the people available, right? Resource right. availability. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, yes. you can see today how hard it is to hire people. React, Angular, all of these are generic technologies. You will always yes. find people who can do that. 
you know, all the platforms are still very specific, very niche. Not too many people know that. I mean, case in point, I, I, I got out of college, I knew JavaScript. But if you ask me about a Magento, I would be like, oh, what is that? But, you know, honestly, that's a, it's, a, it's a niche platform. So that's definitely one thing that you, you will have more and more people available to do the work if you're doing a, a React or a, or a Headless. Of course, you, you, you know, if you're already using a Magento on the back end, then it's kind of a moot point. Mm-hmm. But this will take us much further, you know, and we don't have the time. But <laughs> that's where the whole composable comes in, is yeah. that yeah. if you're back end, is also a composable thing, you know, built out of different uh, applications. Maybe we should have another another podcast <laughs> about that. But microservices and all of that, then you are really going towards taking e-commerce towards generic technology, right? Now right. you have the entire world who does any any tech, you know, all of those people available to do e-commerce that you don't need to go to those niche developers. I mean, nothing against them. I'm just saying that it's a good point that we'll have a much larger pool of people who can do this stuff. So you kind of opened the door and let's not get too deep into it, but what is composable? Kevin, you want to take it or you want me to? (laughs) You can take it first, Rob. Okay. Okay, composable. So if you take take any e-commerce platform, right, it has different, the customer comes into your website there's discovery, right? There's a search. You need to search for it and find it. There is your merchandising or your presentation of the homepage. Then there is your product page. Then there is, uh, you know, within the product, you have suggestions. You have uh, things like that. Then there is the checkout, all of those things, right? Mm-hmm. Now, if you think about it, there are vendors who do all of these different parts pretty well, right? There are search. There are def- several vendors. Even though your platform might have a default search, many people find that a third-party search may be with AI built in, right? This is is way better than that. And that has real value to, to the business because if I can find what I'm looking for, then I'm out of there, right? right. And, and that's, many people have found that using best of class technologies for specific features has its advantages. Now, uh, if you try to do all of that within a platform, then the question comes around as to why do you need the platform then, right? You know, why can't you just build this together from best in class vendors so that's where the whole concept has come in where, and this is not new. Again, I, you know, coming from SaaS and those backgrounds, we've been doing this for years. We've been building microservices for each functionality and, and putting them together. Mm-hmm. So e-commerce wants you to do the same thing. You know, you want product searches separate, you want discovery separate, you want all of those things as to be separate, different services, checkout is separate, you know, payment is separate. It could be a third-party vendor. It could be something you, you write yourself platforms that are coming out like commerce tools and all of them they have built some of it themselves yeah. some of them they have allowed vendors to fulfill right so that's that's commerce tools now talking about our, our conversation we're programming our time is of who should do it i believe at this stage that is definitely for a larger uh, uh company because you know you're talking about a little more money here you're talking about a lot more money there because you have to maintain and build and monitoring and all of that you know which a platform does for you uh, no. Yeah, you, you kind of started touching on it, but yeah. it also you touched on the merchant side, but there's also the deep tech stack, right? Mm-hmm. The content delivery network, the server side rendering, the, the JavaScript framework, like all those things that a merchant doesn't necessarily care about that all of a sudden they have to start caring about. And then <laughs> the DevOps that go in with all of that. So it's like, you're right, you gotta, you know, it's really for much larger merchants who can who can really staff that. Yeah, and, and, you know, there, there are advantages if you think about yeah. scaling, right? Yeah. I've got, if you take e-commerce by, by the nature of it, right? I might have a thousand people searching on my site, of which only, you know, 10 or 20 buying maybe, right? Yeah. So should I have made this big infrastructure just for searching? Yeah. The Composable will enable you to scale it differently. Search yeah. has a lot of power, right? It's on yeah. a server that's powerful. Check out, not so much, because only 20 people are checking out. I don't need so much power, right? There's, there's a thousand people searching. So anyway, so that's another advantage of that. Again, I don't want to get too much into it. <laughs> it, is a whole, it is a whole podcast. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sounds really interesting. But it sounds like it's <laughs> very niche, correct? I speak about it a lot. So. Yeah, it's very niche, though. Which, which one? It, it niche, the composable, it's composable. Right now, I think... Bigger organizations are doing it because they are the ones who are able to make that investment. And mm-hmm. some of the platforms that have come up, you know, no offense to them, like the e-commerce tools and those those platforms itself is really expensive. Right, gotcha. so you can't even have 
some of the smaller merchants justify the investment in those right. platforms. So uh, as things go along, I think it's the way to go. I mean, it, it will happen when there'll be cheaper platforms, there'll be ways to do that, do that yourself rather mm-hmm. than having to go to a large, to a, to, I mean, all of these platforms essentially are orchestrators. Right? They're orchestrating the different services. So uh, as it gets easier to orchestrate, there are orchestrating mechanisms within technology that doesn't require a specific e-commerce tool. As it gets better and more people are aware of it, I think more and more people can go that way. Yeah. Will they go? I don't know. I mean, it's it's uh, it's hard to say. I just want to circle back a little bit on uh, the UI UX stuff because you know, we've talked about different GMVs. If we've got a GMV that's under ten million, say, and they aren't ready to do the investment into uh, headless. I just want to give some people, you know, a little bit of a takeaway of like, what could they do to better their UI UX? One of the major things that I I tend to see a lot is a lack of investment in user experience and user-centered design. I think that one of the first things any store owner can do is to invest in going over the interactions and user flows that any store is fighting and seeing if that's really going to fit their user base. Is it it, it, more to to what Kevin was saying? Mm-hmm. Is your user experience providing what the user expects for that type of purchase, for that type of item? The very first thing they can do is start going over all of their user flows. And, and, and to simplify that, just know what are the main things the user is doing there? They're mm-hmm. searching for things. They're looking for products. They're looking at catalogs. They're looking at product listings. Maybe they're going to see, they're going to compare things. They're going to add things to wish lists. Any of the core functionality uh, that your user may expect, those are the first places to to put some attention towards. After that, you know, paying attention to your research, uh, conducting interviews, talking both to users and admins and maybe even B2B partners, anything that's going to give you an idea as to how your users use your site, how they use an admin, how they use the components, where they're spending their time, all of those things will ultimately lead to to inefficiencies or things that work and things that don't. And that is the framework for where you're going to start providing new solutions. Um, I mean, yeah, all also UX. Session recording, right? Yeah. 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 yeah session recording. Where are you using tools that you can use? Right. Where yeah, are all people UX dropping off? Tools. Right. Yeah. Because I know, I know one of the things that, that you know, we've done with clients in the past is implementing those types of tools just to see, you know, where are people centering? Like, where's most of the attention going to? Or at what point are they dropping off a page? Because then you can make minute changes at that point. You're not looking at a complete redesign or web overhaul. So, you know, I'm just saying is, you know, for smaller clients, you know, that aren't looking at headless and don't have that capability, there are still things they can do Absolutely. for better conversions. Right. I mean, that's our framework, right? I mean, the way we do this is, yeah. is we categorize them as, you know, how, how easy it is, what is the impact, what is the cost? And then we have a multiplier and we say, okay, this one's high impact um, and easy to do. Let's do that first. You know, A-B testing, right? right? I mean, essentially, in my opinion, you know, what Jorge said in an in a elaborate and, and user, user experience-centric way, but my point is watch the user and then, Make a single tweak and A/B test, right? That's yeah. that's how ninety nine percent of CRO is done. Now, of course, experienced designers can already say, you know, these are the five things you should test first, because somebody like me, I'm not a user experience designer. I know user experience enough from my experience, but I'm not a designer, and I might not catch that. But somebody, people can say that. But after that, five, four, three or four things are done, you're essentially doing that. You're you're finding, you know, looking at the user. See if there's something that you can change and test. Test it fast. If it doesn't work, throw it away. Go to the next thing. Right? That's that's kind of how CRO is is really done. I mean, people may say different things about how they do it, but every one of them are going to do this. This is the only way to do it, in my opinion. Right. Um, well, I think we're getting close to time, so why don't we end it with uh, you know, you guys let us know how if someone wants to get a hold of you or your company. Uh, they have more questions or they need of your service. How would they do that? So let's start with Kevin. Uh, sure. Thanks, Tony. This has been this has been uh, great. Uh, yeah. If somebody wants to reach me or find us, uh, you can reach me directly, uh, Kevin at getshogun.com, uh, or go to our website getshogun.com, and uh, you can find our our information there. Rom, Jorge, of course. You know we're all at Masal, but Rom, yeah. how is how's the best way for someone to to get a hold of us? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, our company is 
first initial last name at abmasol.com. So minus R Mohan at, at abmasol.com. And I mean, course, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm pretty yeah. active on LinkedIn. So <laughs> if you, if you, uh, you know, and I am very accepting and accept all connections. <laughs> so if you want to find me there, you can find me there as well. All right. Well, I just want to thank everybody for their time today. Uh, this was a very interesting conversation. I hope that we can continue doing uh, interesting conversations in the future. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to e-commerce insights presented by Atmosol. We hope you have learned something new or took a nugget of information away to help you as you travel the world of e-commerce. Until next time, keep asking questions, evolving your business, and learn every day.